Welcome back, everybody. It's another day for Plain Politics, this collaboration between the Star Tribune Editorial Board and WCCO Radio. Chad Hartman with DJ Tice and John Rath. DJ, I'll start with you. The news comes out earlier today. Amazon announces their top 20 finalists. The Minneapolis-St. Paul area, not one of them. The state of Minnesota, not one of them. How significant is this? Well, I don't think it's a big surprise. Uh, there's a lot of uh, sentiment, I think, that maybe we've dodged a bullet here. Uh, some of the things that we were told uh, to look forward to, should they come here, uh, you know, from the experience in, in Seattle, were not necessarily desirable for everybody uh, in the community. I mean, it's certainly a big impact, a huge economic boost, but really a, a transformative one and, and maybe one that, that transforms a community in ways it doesn't anticipate or necessarily uh, want. So I think for a community like ours that is very prosperous uh, and the, and there's a lot of uh, dyna- dynamic things happening, uh, you know, it's, it's no tragedy either. And I think all that was reflected in the fact that our uh, effort to to attract them here wasn't the, all that aggressive or Tepid, all that serious. Right, John? I mean, part of what the governor had to say is he said, I've got Target here. I've got Best Buy. Can I make that aggressive of a bid towards Amazon? If I do, don't I have to offer Target and Best Buy the same thing? Well, then I think the position with more intellectual integrity would have been to say we're not going to go for this because yeah, of it. Because right. if you enter a competition, there's really only one reason, and that's to win. And if we enter this against the more than 200 communities across the country, including Canada, that were chasing this to not be among the top 20 and to have communities like Columbus, Ohio and Nashville and Indianapolis beat us out, tell us how indeed how, in your words, how tepid or I believe the word the governor had used was modest, you know, initially when they went forward with this. So I think that if they were going to throw their hat into the ring, doing it with more zeal and more strategy and being able to rally Republicans, particularly in a deeply divided legislature. This might have been one issue where they could have had people from both sides of the aisle say, let's put our best foot forward and to try to compete with this. But once they were very public with their passive approach, I think that the writing was on the wall almost instantly. And whether it would have been a good thing or a bad thing, I think DJ brings up some quite compelling points, and we certainly reflected a lot of those on our editorial pages and uh, in op-eds and in, certainly in letters as well. But, boy, if you're going to jump into it, jump into it to win. Well, so, you know, I, I just got to say, I mean, I, I agree with that, John. It would have been more honest to just bow out if we weren't interested. But, uh, uh, you know, we'll see who wins and on what basis. But to the extent that this was a matter of a giveaway of public resources, uh, you know, to e- essentially subsidize a company that needs no subsidy. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sorry that, uh, that that we didn't take a more aggressive approach. So where do you stand on that, though? Because uh, over the years, states and cities have made very, very lucrative offers for a myriad of businesses, probably most notable on sports, and it infuriates a lot of people. But where is that line? Because cities are better when you have successful businesses. You know other cities and states will offer these same enticements. If you sit out, do you just lose out? Well, you know, it's the same as the stadium debate. You're, you're, you're trapped in the same uh, bidding war that you that you yep. can't simply refuse to participate in because other, other cities will. Uh, but, you know, I just think in terms of general economic policy, pro sports is a little bit of a special 
situation because they have a special kind of monopoly. But again, a, a, you know, a community that's prospering, uh, I don't think has to do this. And I, for the economy as a whole, for the uh, American people as a whole, I think these bidding wars are insane. Uh, and it's nothing but uh, a heist uh, on the part of uh, companies that are able to, you know, pit uh, communities Leverage. against one another. I'm with Art Rolnick. I think Congress should simply outlaw a discriminatory tax policy by any state for any company and put an end to all of these bidding wars. So, John, let's talk about another enormous company, Apple. And a really big announcement here in the last 24 hours. They announced they're going to pay $38 billion in taxes coming back here. They're going to make an enormous investment um, to build. They're going to, they're going to put uh, $30 billion capital to spend in the U.S. over five years. That would create more than 20,000 jobs. This total includes a new campus, uh, $10 billion towards a data center across the country. It will expand from $1 billion to $5 billion of fund established last year to advance manufacturing in the U.S., I saw Tim Cook earlier, and he said, yes, some of this is tied to the tax proposal, but some of it is elsewhere. But if you're President Trump and you've passed this and you you campaign to say this is going to bring the enormous amount of money from American companies abroad back here, this is a huge victory for the president. No question about it. And I think that those that support President Trump might rightly point to this and say this was the whole idea of tax reform and that this is going to bolster the economy in the long run. And yet, with the tax bill that was passed that is proving popular, um, certainly with the base and perhaps beyond that, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office have predicted well over a trillion dollars additional to the deficit here. And I think that it is important to note that while President Trump uh, certainly will get some credit for this, lowering corporate tax rates has been a bipartisan idea. It's something that President Obama pushed yep. as well, that he couldn't get through a Republican Congress. President Trump did, and that's part of the advantage to having one party control the White House as well as Congress. But uh, in terms of the economic policy, certainly the stock market has reflected very well on the tax mm-hmm. um, you know, bill that, that came through, both in anticipation and reality of it, and the economy continues to roll. You know, I, I agree with every word of that. Um, and I think it is absolutely worth remembering that this has been a uh, the, the corporate side of this, uh, lowering the, the corporate tax rate to uh, di- remove the incentive for companies to leave all this mm-hmm. cash overseas, yeah. has been something that, that both parties had been for uh, until fairly recently. I do think it's curious that until now, uh, really Democrats and liberals seem to have forgotten that they were for uh, lowering the corporate tax rate right. for many years. Yeah. And during the debate of this tax bill, they denounced the idea fairly vigorously. <clears throat> yeah. uh, so but let, this is obviously, you know, this is what one would have hoped for. Yeah. And you could have done this without a lot of the bad things that are in that tax bill. So let, let me get to, uh, and I'll start with you first, DJ. Um, the, the papers had a lot of polling the last three, four days yeah. on the president on Al Franken, and on the tax side. Let me let me stay with taxes, which is in Thursday's paper, and the president. The numbers are almost identical on the tax plan and on President Trump, approval, disapproval, 45% approved, 47% disapproved. That's within the margin of error. What does that tell you about the state and their feeling about the president? Because there's a CBS poll today, when we're coming up on one year after the inauguration, 
and the nation's at about 37 yeah. percent for the president. Yes, uh, it it was certainly a surprising poll on the uh, approval numbers that that uh, you know Trump's numbers were as good in in Minnesota as they were, and of course you know polling is an art, not a science. It's yeah. always worth remembering, right. and any given poll, you know, can can be off. Um, one way or the other. Uh, but uh, a lot of the poll, as you suggest, is fairly consistent, and the rural-urban mm-hmm. divide looks normal. The Big, gender, bigger than ever. Baby. The gender split looks like it yeah, usually does, Exactly. all of which suggests that there's nothing wacky about the poll results. Uh, you know, I think it is testimony to how powerful uh, the economy is as an issue and uh, in determining people's attitudes toward the political scene in general. The people are feeling pretty good about the economy, about the stock market, about their own situation. We hear that, that wages are, are on the rise in many parts of the economy. And, you know, that means a lot to people, and it kind of determines, you know, where they're at, at least here in Minnesota right yep. now. I, I did see, uh, although the national polling doesn't show anything quite as as dramatic as our poll did, I did see that 538, Nate Silver's New York Times yep. uh, site, uh, was showing some uptick uh, for the president uh, in uh, in some tweets he put out this morning. I think DJ nailed it, John. You know, I have been very pointed. I've been very specific many, many times this year when the president has offered up comments, and I don't back away from any of those. The endless amount of texts and emails I get back, how's the economy? How's your 401k? That is his greatest comeback, and that normally tells the story about future employment. That is a huge advantage. And sure, the Obama administration has played some part, but let's just be let's just be honest here. If the economy was struggling right now, would many of the liberals be blaming that on President Obama in any way? They'd be saying it's the Trump economy. So he has to get plenty of the credit. No question about it. And presidents, as we all know, and certainly all the listeners know, generally get too much credit when things go right and too much blame when things go wrong. Absolutely. But that being said, that's the terrain that every president operates on, and a lot of people are are crediting President Trump for the very strong economy. And even indeed here in Minnesota, we had numbers released this morning in terms of the unemployment rate, which is very, very low, and in particular in certain communities, African-American unemployment is the lowest it's been in quite some time, particularly in the teeth of the Great Recession around you know, 2009, 2010, as an example. And so he is going to get credit for that, and that always is prioritized by people in terms of how they judge how their lawmakers are doing, both in St. Paul as well as in Washington. I think one quick aspect of this that's quite striking and certainly tied most likely to the mining issue, but the traditional DFL dominance in northern Minnesota at least according to this poll, has been upended very significantly. And that was one clear, consistent pattern in this series of polls in the Star Tribune is just how strong the support for the president was up in the northern part of the state, which for decades has often carried DFL candidates to statewide victories. I think one other thing that's worth uh, noting in the poll is that even though Trump's overall approval rating was pretty good, his scores on all the temperament character yeah. questions were bad. Disastrous. Uh, which actually creates something of a problem for his opponents, I think, and his critics. Because it's not as if the people approving of him like him or think that he's a wonderfully dignified and inspiring <laughs> president. Yep. They know all the, all the oafish 
uh, side of the equation, but that is not overwhelming uh, their good feeling about the economy and so on. John, let's talk about whether we're going to have a government shutdown. This combination of money that is needed, this is something that's been going on forever, right? But then we have the tie to immigration. So you have the news yesterday that the chief of staff, General Kelly, is over meeting with uh, the Congressional Hispanic, Hispanic Caucus, and he says about the president, about the wall and certain things. He goes, certain things are said during the campaign that are not fully informed that he's evolved. Right. And so some people are saying, wow, this is pretty telling that the chief of staff would say this. And is there more uh, room to negotiate a deal? Excuse me. The president responds today. The wall is the wall. I've never changed or evolved from the first day I conceived of it. Parts will be of necessary necessity, excuse me, see through. And it was never intended to be built in areas where there is a natural protection, such as mountains, wastelands or tough rivers or water. He also goes on in another tweet to say. No wall, no deal. What does that say about the dynamics when John Kelly's trying to say one thing and the president feels like he's undercut, so he undercuts his chief of staff 12 hours later? That they're strained if not broken, which doesn't mean that General Kelly isn't going to remain in his job, but it's really reminiscent of what's happened between President Trump and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, particularly on policy with North Korea, where the president, as opposed to bringing him into the Oval Office and saying, we have to get on the same page, and I'm writing that page, so yeah. let's go out with a consistent message. Right. Instead, informs him and the world via Twitter that the secretary is wasting his time, in the president's words, trying to get some kind of diplomatic deal going with Pyongyang. And so I think that it also does not bode well for keeping the government going. Now, they may be able to avoid a shutdown now. But they're heading into a harder deadline regarding the Dreamers and the DACA issue, which will happen in March. So I think that the Democrats will hold very firm, if not on this deadline, then the next deadline to get this done. But increasingly, you also may have Americans who say, beyond all the internal congressional machinations, why is it that issues so fundamental to young people's lives, be it the DACA or Dreamers issue, or CHIP, the Child, mm-hmm. Children's Health yep. Insurance Program, why is that being held up in a political process when these are the most vulnerable people we have in our society? And to the degree that that becomes a transcendent issue, that might be able to alter the debate and move it forward. I, you know, I, I agree with all that, and I, uh, at the risk of being scandalous, uh, I actually kind of wonder why the Democrats don't care more about those young people and move a little bit. Uh, you know, as you say, there's this difference between Kelly and Trump. But, you know, if you listen to Trump's statement, there's a lot of qualifications in there. Yeah. You know, we don't need it where the mountains are. Some of it can be see-through, whatever the heck that is. Uh, you know, so it Fence, seems, I guess. <laughs> I, the essence of making a political compromise is that you recognize what the guy on the other side has got to have. Yeah. Trump has got to have some kind of a wall. Yeah. I don't think it needs to be much of a wall. But he needs a wall he can go pose in front of. You're right. And if they're not willing to give him that, there is not going to be a deal. He cannot do it. He won't do it. So if they care about those young immigrants, they need to figure out some way of giving him something that he can call a wall. And if if they are not willing to do that, then they don't really care. So let's finish locally. This story uh, was reported initially by AP. Other outlets, including the Star Tribune, picked up on it. Jennifer Carnahan relatively new as the chairwoman of the Minnesota Republican Party, John, saying that 
and her base pay is 67000 that she would like to receive 10% of a commission on some of the major donations. I'll admit, when I first saw this yesterday, I said, are you kidding me? But then I see that Keith Downey, who was the previous head, had received it. And then I see that Ken Martin, who's the head of the DNC here in the state, is making $40,000 more than her. Does she have a valid point? Well, I think that it's important to note that political parties are not governed by the Constitution. Our political processes, but parties are more private individual institutions. And so this is to some degree what the political marketplace will say. I certainly think that if you're a major political donor, as defined in, in this conversation by the Republican chair here in Minnesota, are you going to put up a significant amount of money knowing that 10% of it is going to go to one individual? Yep. And I think that if anything, that makes it less likely they're going to get some of these contributions. But it also breaks open the whole issue and the whole debate about campaign spending and about some of these others who, you know, in terms of what they get paid and what kind of incentive they, they have here. Clearly, this is the type of thing that the public finds very distasteful yeah. about politics in general. And generally, they won't discriminate against either party. They'll think that both of them just have a system that, that shouldn't reflect American values, doesn't reflect American values. You know, I find myself wondering whether she ought to be covered by a tip credit on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and let's be honest. The public isn't going to read the story. A lot of the public, not ever. They're just going to see she wants 10% and right. say, are you kidding me? Wouldn't they be better off just saying, let's get her pay tied to yeah. what other people are making and it, take the commission out of this? It's inconceivable to me that they allowed this to spill into the public, whereas John says, all it does is make them look bad. Yeah. I mean, obviously, people need to be paid yeah. and they're going to have negotiations. It's an and, important position. Uh, but, you know, you you settle that between yourselves behind closed doors. You don't yeah. let it become a public stink. It's really it's really bad politics. Well, it's, is some of that on her, though? To both you guys? Well, I don't know how the story came out, but yeah. it did sound like she went public with she, she had a memo. And, John, she knows. If, if you're in this position and you have good reporters throughout the state, that information's coming out. Somebody leaked it. She should know that, and she's new to her position, which is not an excuse, but perhaps an explanation is that maybe she didn't clearly think this out. Because yep. I concur with my colleague DJ here that the way to do this is to talk about it as you come into this position yeah. and to say, this is how I'm going to negotiate my salary. More than anything, you know, the Republican Party has greatly struggled financially here in the last several years. Yeah, in the state, and for sure. they need to raise significant money for previous campaigns to handle what they've done and then certainly for the big midterm election, which is quite consequential here in Minnesota. This won't help. There's nothing fundamentally scandalous about the idea of a performance bonus, which is really what she's asking for. Yeah. Right? If I, The more money I bring in, the more money I make. Well, that's pretty normal. Even to just call it a commission seems like really yeah. bad PR to me. It sounds like a used car salesman, right? It's like the big bonus the two of you get to be a part of this segment. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm still, I'm still waiting to see my commission. I have not seen it so far. Gentlemen, great stuff as always. Thank you. Thank you. DJ Tice and John Rash from the Star Tribune editorial board. Chad Hartman here from WCCO Radio. Check it out. All of this, startribune.com and wcco.com.